The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. All right, what's going on, guys? This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, guys. So the West Virginia Mountaineers take on the TCU Horn Frogs this Saturday in Fort Worth, Texas. And to help us preview the game today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Grant McGalliard from the Purple Theory podcast. Grant and his co-host Parker cover TCU sports, college football analytics and sports betting. So thanks for joining us today, Grant. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Uh, always have a, a soft spot for TCU's kind of a redheaded stepchild twin joining the joining the Big Twelve late. So I've always enjoyed uh, always enjoyed these games. Oh, same here. I, I love the analogy there. I mean, you know, we're we're the furthest east school, and um, you're a, a private school, which is uh, kind of you know non non Big Twelve area. So yeah, <laughs> we fit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, man. All right. So uh, let's hop right in it. Let's talk about the game on Saturday. Um, you guys have a very interesting team. It, it's almost, I guess you could say the exact opposite of West Virginia's team. Your offense is amazing, but you give up a ton of points. So let's talk about the offense first. Um, Max Duggan, he's a third year starter. I know he redshirted his you know, true freshman year, but it's not too often you see a kid come in as a freshman start for three or four straight years in college football. So clearly he's a very special talent. Um, I've seen TCU fans criticizing him, but uh, what do you think makes Max so special and what does he still have to work on? Yeah. So I, I think I should probably just lay up my bias here, which is that I'm a huge Max fan. Um, I, I got a dog in February and named him Max Doggin. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Max, but I, I think what TCU fans like about Max and what he brings to the team is that he is first and foremost, an extremely mobile quarterback and someone who's willing to kind of put his body on the line. Um, he's probably the 2019 and 2020 Texas games are won almost explicitly because of his ability to put the ball on the ground. Um, and, and, he, and he's, he makes smart decisions when he does that. He also has, has a, a very strong arm. Um, I think, the problem with Max and the way the coaching staff use him is that they don't play to his strengths. So Duggan's very good throwing over the middle of the field. Um, he's very good kind of making decisions, but when you ask him to put, you know, balls in a bucket 35 yards down the sideline, I'll be honest with you. He's not the, the best in the country at that, but if you ask him to throw over the middle of the field, or you ask him to kind of make decisions uh, in the option game, he's outstanding and he can win your ball games. Uh, the problem is just that he needs to be kind of put in those positions to where he can make those decisions. He's not a guy that, you know, can win regardless of coaching staff. That was, I was actually going to last uh, ask that about him is, you know, you guys aren't very pass heavy. Um, I think right now you guys sit at 65 rushing attempts, 62 pass for the season. Um, so, you know, kind of taking a page from what Baylor did against WVU where they utilize Bohannon heavily with the play action. Do you think that's something you would feel confident with Duggan doing? Yeah, well, here's the thing. I mean, the play action would be great, but when, you know, Baylor has sort of a coherent scheme, what, what TCU did, for example, against Texas Tech, where they raced out to a big lead early and then just kind of shut the game down, was that they just handed the ball off to Zach Evans and Kendrick Miller. And they didn't bother with the play action. They just said, actually, we're just going to run the ball. 
which is fine because TCU is a good running team. But I, I, I would think that if TCU um, is in a place where the running game's working, they won't say, let's build off that and use play action. They're just going to stick on the ground. Uh, so I, I wouldn't expect them to kind of pivot to play action if, if, uh, you know, if they do get it going on the ground. Interesting. Yeah. And I remember seeing the, the box score for that Texas tech game where Duggan had what 11 passing attempts. That seemed really low. That's for right. 2021. It's, it's extremely low. I was, so I didn't actually get to watch that game live. I was following it on my phone and I was texting friends like, okay, we're winning, but what is happening? Because <laughs> nothing, like none of this adds up, but they won 52 31. So I guess you can't argue with it. No, we couldn't beat them. So <laughs> yeah, it got results. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's very talented. Um, I would love to have him on our team. But speaking of the run game, Zach Evans, he has been absolutely phenomenal this year when he's healthy, when he's playing. But TCU, they actually seem to have a lot of talent at halfback, even when he's not in. So if Zach is out or if he's not 100% this Saturday, how much do you think that would affect and have impact on TCU's offense? Yeah, it, it, so anytime you lose a player like Zach Evans, you're gonna it's gonna be a negative effect, right? I remember my buddy who was an, he is an A and M fan called me when Zach Evans was a sophomore in high school at Galena Park North Shore in Texas and said, "Hey, this kid's coming to A and M and he's gonna you know kick everybody's butt." And then he wound up at TCU after a long and uh, oh, let's say troublesome recruitment, but uh, he's outstanding. But TCU does have the benefit of having some talent at running back, even behind him, Kendry Miller uh, is. You know, he's not a five-star guy, but at the end of the day, he does get results. Um, he, he has the ability to break big runs. And Amari DiMarcado is sort of your, hey, listen, if he's a great backup. And I don't mean that as an insult at all because he fills a role on the team. So with Miller and DiMarcado, you don't have the top-end talent of Zach Evans, but TCU had them last week against Oklahoma and still put up, uh, you know, I, I put that game out of my mind, so I don't even remember what the final score was, but they still were able to hang in there on offense. And uh, so, so it, it's not going to be quite the same, but it's going to be, I think, good enough to be a, a successful running game uh, against most teams. Got it. Yeah, that's that's helpful because I noticed that, you know, Kendry, he's had a pretty solid season on the year, too. You know, almost 370 yards, six touchdowns on 7.3 yards per carry. I mean, that's better than any back in WVU's backfield. So it's nice to have that depth for sure. Um, kind of tying into that with the, the offensive line. Um, I noticed that the offensive line on the, the PFF, um, they, they have pretty good pass blocking grades. The uh, rushing grades are kind of up and down. But I also noticed that um, you've only allowed the three third least sacks um, in the Big 12 so far on the season. Um, kind of similar to Baylor, where Baylor, Baylor's offensive line was, was pretty good. Um, and they handled WVU's defensive line. Do you think that's something that, you know, TCU is going to be able to replicate, um, being able to contain Mesador stills? that whole crew. Yeah. So I'm going to try to say this without being insulting to both the people on the TCU offensive line and also you. So here's the deal. So I, I, I think TCU fans are very fed up with the offensive line. Um, I agree. The PFF grades look good or certainly at least look acceptable, but if you watch games, I mean, look, Andrew Coker has four penalties called against him. Uh, I think every starting lineman has at least two penalties called against him. There's just obvious blocks that they miss and obvious opportunities to extend plays by, you know, hey, you know, if me and Parker talk about this on our podcast all the time, if you're not blocking someone, go find someone to block. Uh, and, and TCU's offensive line just doesn't do that. But I do think that while, you know, Melchior and, uh, and Mills are, are extremely good players, 
Mills. Good Lord, Sills. Sorry. Uh, I haven't been as impressed as I thought I was going to be with West Virginia's defensive line. And maybe y'all can speak to that as well. Should I be worried? Because I think TCU can at least not allow it to be a complete, you know, attack on Max Duggan the entire game. But, but am I reading that wrong? Because I certainly haven't watched as much film as y'all have. I so, think, go ahead. Yeah. You can do first. Oh, sure. I was going to say, it, you know, kind of my read on the situation is WVU kind of runs a weird defensive front. So we run Stills and Mesador. Mesador kind of plays the nose where I think in previous years he was playing on the end. Stills is playing on the end where I think previously played interior. Um, and then on the outside, we have Alston, who's kind of built like an outside linebacker. You think he's 6'3", 245 pounds. So we run that three-man front. And then our linebacking crew, which I think you touched on in your last podcast, just isn't very good. They're either inexperienced, don't have a ton of you know playing time, or they're just not good and kind of get lost on plays. So I think that allows the, from my perspective, it allows the offensive line to kind of double guys like Stills and Mesador and really not be punished for it. Yeah, I definitely think um, those two guys are very talented, but I will say I, I think a lot of WVU fans agree that they've underperformed this year. They they seem to not be consistent, which is what our whole team's problem, really. Like um, <laughs> some games they're dominant, and other games it's it's like a whole different player out there. I mean, they're just getting blown off the line every play, and so. it hurts whenever you lose guys like Drayshawn Miller and Tyke Smith. Yeah. I mean, quarterbacks can like against the T- uh, Texas Tech that entire first drive where they're just slaughtering us that first half, 17 unanswered points, they're getting the ball out ball their hands in a second or two. So mm-hmm. you don't have time to get the pressure. And our cornerbacks are playing seven, eight yards off the ball because we don't have someone who can actually go up there and disrupt the play at the line of scrimmage. It's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Tyke Smith leaving West Virginia was, was really disappointing because I, I wanted to see what that defense could do at full strength. And then with him going to Georgia, it's like, man, that's such a, a keyhole that's just not been filled. Yeah, and we feel it hard. I mean, <laughs> Daryl Porter's been good for a freshman, but he's so up and down. He, he's a redshirt freshman, and he's starting. And there's some plays where he looks incredible, and there's other plays where he just gets beat. Um, mm-hmm. I think you give him another year or two, he'll be pretty solid. Yeah, our secondary is definitely part of the problem while the, why the line's underperforming because, I mean, you saw in the Baylor game, we play off so much in most mm-hmm. games. And then in the games where we do try to cheat up and really just play stop the run, we get burnt. I mean, we're not even close. And they get that ball out of their hands so quick that, you know, it's not much the D-line can do. That's one thing about our defense, too, is I think – I'm starting to think it's kind of been figured out. I think the coaching staff came in um, with an idea of how to minimize our issues and kind of accentuate our strengths. But after, you know, two or three games of seeing that, seeing that we're giving teams on average five to seven yards cushion on the outside, teams just figure out how to attack that. And then, you know, a team like Baylor, I think that they were just smart enough to see that, you know, they know that WU is going to fight to play against the run because they know they're a running team. Um, Virginia Tech's a very run heavy team. So, you know, maybe they took some keys from that and how we played them. And just those play action passes, they just shredded us. I think at one point, Bohannon was averaging 26 yards per attempt. Um, it was just ridiculous. He broke his career record in the first half against us. It was bad. Well, that's, that's not great. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, too, well, it, it's funny. And I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not trying to drive, but you, you mentioned something that maybe think about it is that TCU doesn't want to have to adapt. Right. So I think Doug Meacham, an offensive coordinator, if I had to pick him over Sonny Cumbie, for example, I would take Doug Meacham and, and Jerry Kale has been, 
I don't know what you want to call his position. I don't even know what it officially is, but he's sort of been the, the, the consigliere for the TCU offense working in conjunction with Doug Meacham. And so I, I think they can, can create a game plan pretty well. I, I don't think they adapt to it well mid game. So if they go in at West Virginia, I don't know if y'all don't play five to seven yards off the receivers, or if for some reason the plays they had picked out aren't working, TCU hasn't really been able to step out of its comfort zone and adjust midway through a game, whether that's on the coaching staff or on Max or you know the players or whatever, just hasn't really been something they've, they've even been interested in doing. They just kind of regress back to what they're comfortable with. So it's going to come down to who can almost game plan better during the week, I would say, because I, I don't expect a whole lot of adjustments from the offense uh, on TCU side. No adjustments on our side either. Yeah, that was about Perfect. to say. That's Great. very familiar. That's okay. <laughs> Good. We know where we stand. Uh, that's that's perfect. So before we move too far past the halfbacks, I heard you guys talking on the Purple Theory podcast about Zach Evans might leaving. Do you think you think he's going to the NFL? You think he's transferring? What? Oh, he should get that. I mean, he he should do whatever is best for him. I, I there are so many variables at play with. The T- I'm not going to say with the TCU coaching staff, but, but there's so many variables at play with how Zach is used with, uh, uh, you know, I, I do think he has had some injury issues. I don't know how severe they are. Um, so if he has the opportunity to go to the NFL, uh, he should do it immediately and just go get paid. He's extremely good. He's, if he was, I, I'm not trying to play like, oh, actually our running back is better. But if he was at Texas and was getting the same amount of carries as B. John Robinson, I think he'd sort of still be getting that same type of buzz that Bijan is getting um, because I, I would say they're equally talented. They're both absolutely outstanding. And so he should go and, and get paid. I, I There's some innate part of me that thinks we'll see him again in Fort Worth next year, but wouldn't surprise me at all if he either transferred to a better program or, or just went and got that paycheck, which is good for him. Kind of on the, the terms of the, the transfer. Um, so WV has been kind of hit hard by the transfer portal over the past six to 12 months. Um, how do you feel about kind of that immediate transfer rule that I think WV or that the NCAA just implemented? Uh, speaking personally, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I, I'm pretty laissez-faire when it comes to players moving around. Um, I, my opinion is always if coaches can do it, players can do it too. Um, TCU has sort of been in an interesting position where it hasn't hurt or helped us as much. So maybe if there would have been a bigger impact, I would have a different opinion on it. But I mean, the biggest transfer uh, you know, Marcel Brooks came over from LSU and moved from linebacker to wide receiver. And I think has seen the field on special teams once or twice, but that's about it. And then Alex Delton came in from Kansas state and started three games. Then Max took over in 2019. You lose Sean Robinson to Missouri, who's a quarterback that now plays defensive back and starts so good for him. And uh, Justin Rogers to Utah, but I, 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 it hasn't affected TCU as much. So me being in that position, I'm, feel comfortable saying, Ed, they can do whatever the heck they want. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, I, I don't mind it that much. The one thing I, I, you know, my personal preference would be to kind of put some sort of barrier on it where like, you know, the player can't transfer until they're with their program for like a year or two or something like that. Like give them a couple years to kind of adapt and fix out their problems before they can go, you know, on a transfer spree. Um, because I feel like, you know, some of it is kind of culture shock, you know, players go sure. from being these superstar players in high school and just getting their to do wherever they want. And then they go in, they have competition. They have coaches that maybe they not, not necessarily get along with as well as before. 
they have, you know, expectations, discipline, all that other stuff. Um, and, you know, that might help with some of the players who just end up bouncing around a lot and, you know, may end up being deemed a problem child, like someone like, uh, what's his name, Tate Martell, who's now mm-hmm. at UNLV, um, you know, forcing someone to be at, at school for two years, you know, it might help corral that and be like, hey, you know, I need to work on myself, not blame everyone else. Yeah. Tathaniel Martell, as we called him. Yeah, he uh, he he's an interesting case. I, I think I would be willing to stipulate those as long as we add in the provision that if a coach gets fired or leaves, all of his players are able to transfer um, and mm. just kind of find that middle ground. Just say, hey, like if you came to a school for a coach and he leaves, I think you should be able to leave as well with no penalty just because that's not what you were recruiting into. So I, I'm willing to reach yeah. across the aisle and, and, you know, and compromise there. I'm totally fine with that. That's fair. Yeah, I like those ideas a lot. I go back and forth on it. But, yeah, overall, I think, you know, they should be allowed. Sitting out a whole year can be rough. But I do feel like sometimes the kids abuse it a little bit. And so that's why I go back and forth. But overall, yeah, you guys definitely had some good ideas on that. I'm with you. So uh, one more thing on the offense before we jump on the defense. Um, Quentin Johnson seems to be your kind of go-to guy on receiver. It, is he – do you feel like he's like a – all-around receiver do you think he's more like a Jalen Rager type um I know I see he's has almost 19 yards per catch so he seems pretty explosive he's extremely explosive Parker and I uh talked about this a little bit the other day but I think TCU's coaching staff thinks that Quentin Johnson is like Jalen Rager I don't think he is I I think Rager is more of that sort of tweener where he could play a little bit in the slot he could play on the outside you know Quentin is I think six foot four uh, he, he's a bigger guy. And so his his ability is more of the sort of downfield, go up and get it type guy. Uh, he was number one on ESPN's uh, Moss segment on Monday Night Football. They just tweeted out a picture. He got sent a picture of Randy Moss gloves, which I think is pretty cool. But he's um, he, he's your, your like stereotypical, um, you know, certainly fast and certainly a good route rider. But he's the guy you throw it up a 50-50 ball and say, hey, come down with it. Uh, he, I, I don't want him running, you know, jet sweep or or anything like that. Uh, I, I want him running routes down the field and and making catches to extend drives. Yeah, he's he's definitely someone that scares me because, um, I mean, you say TCU doesn't really waver from a game plan, so that makes me feel a little better. But me and Brandon were talking about on the podcast that we're afraid this is going to be a repeat of Baylor, where everyone's going in thinking they're just going to run the ball every other play and, 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 you know, they might've saw a blueprint on that Baylor game and just come out and start throwing the ball. And that guy definitely scares me the most because like you said, you can just throw it up to him downfield and chances are he's going to come down with it. Yeah. And our quarterback group hasn't been great. Well, so that's, I was going to ask about that. So I came in to the season really high and again, I I always hate burying college kids by name, but we're here. So whatever Uh, I I came in really high on, on a Nick Troy fortune. And he hasn't lived up to expectations. What, what what what's happening there? He's been very up and down. I mean, even like even in one game, he'll have like a horrible quarter, and then he'll bounce back. I don't know. Just like with our whole team, it just seems like he can't string four quarters together. Yeah, gotcha. I feel like them playing off the ball a lot hurts him too because he doesn't really seem to have the the, the break and acceleration to kind of recover from that. So it puts him kind of out of position. Um, I don't know if you do better in a press man situation, but him playing seven yards off the ball doesn't help at all. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's one of those. Yeah. So he's one of those guys. It's like in a different system, you know, we might see different results, but instead he's just not the fit. I, I got you. I got you. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I, I do think he's talented. 
But anyway. Yeah, and I think our best defensive back is um, – I know his PFF grade has dropped like a rock recently – is Alonzo Adai. Um, hmm. I, I feel like he tries to cover up the entire defense's mistakes. He's always the guy that when the play breaks down and someone's running free in the secondary, comes down with the tackle. He plays pretty good over the top. Um, you know, I think it was the – the TC, no, the Texas Tech game where he did get kind of confused on a coverage that led to a long touchdown to a tight end. But, you know, I feel like a lot of it is him just trying to cover up holes in the defense. And he's a sixth year senior because of that COVID year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, yeah, he's, he's really solid. He's a great tackler. He's good in coverage. And um, I just don't think there's enough talent anywhere else on the defense. Like um, Sean Mahone plays safety, but he's basically another linebacker because he's terrible in coverage, but he's fantastic against the run. Mm-hmm. Um, Porter's, Super young redshirt freshman, um, Scotty Young. We don't know if he's on play or not yet. Uh, rumor is he's been sick. Um, we just had a tri- uh, Kerry Martin. He used to start for us his freshman year two years ago. He just transferred out. Um, and then we have Jackie Matthews, who was a cornerback, but he's now playing um, that like bandit safety that WVU runs. Um, then I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Tomato. Um, Tomato. Yeah, but he's, he's basically linebacker. yeah, he basically just plays like a linebacker. So yeah, yeah, it's just a lot of guys that you know you could see what the idea is, but on the field it doesn't necessarily all translate as one to sort of a, a a functional unit at times. Yeah, and I think what we're missing is like one just great playmaker, like you know how mm-hmm. Baylor has you know Petrie, and how WVU had Tyke Smith last year having just that one guy you can rely on in the secondary to, to do something, whether it be just completely disrupt a play or lock mm-hmm. down a receiver. We just don't have that. We have a, a good free safety who kind of saves things, but that's the last guy you want making plays. Yeah. Listen, TC using the exact same boat. I, I think three years ago or two years ago, we had Trevon Merrick and Ardarius Washington and it was, we had them last year too, but they, they kind of regressed, but uh, Merrick and Washington, it was, listen, the corners can do whatever the heck they want to do. And then Merrick and Washington are going to go in and make the play. And underneath Wallow, you don't want him in pass coverage, but he'll tackle. That TCU doesn't have any dudes, Parker and I call them. Um, there's just – there's a lot of guys, but no dudes. And so it, it, you're just kind of missing those playmakers that can cover for on, on the back end um, if, if there's a mistake. Yeah, and I think the same goes for WVU's linebacking core. Um, you know, we just don't have anyone – I think – Last year was Tony Fields, and he was just a sideline-to-sideline linebacker. Um, We don't have that. I mean, I think Dixon might be able to become that, but he's only a sophomore. He's just came into the program over the summer from Penn State. Um, So, you know, it's a big question mark on what he's going to become. Yeah, so let's get into TCU's defense. Um, (laughs) We'll just get right into it. Why do you, okay. TCU's defense. Why do you think they're struggling so much this year? Like, what's the issue over there? Well, okay. So th- there have been some injuries. Um, most notably, a cornerback, Trevon, uh, Trevon, Jesus, uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, who's TCU's you know best cornerback, might not play this week, uh, which which would not be good. I, I really don't even know who the backup would be. I mean, Zimbalist uh, odd ham is up there, but he hasn't seen the field at all. Um, and then the, the other corner position has been occupied by CJ Caesar and, and we bag on him a lot. I, I won't rehash all of my takes on CJ this year, but, but he's, he's just kind of not been a very good cornerback opposite THT all year. And so there's always been one side of the field where 
uh, opposing teams have been able to pick off TCU. Um, the Kendrick Van Zandt's a good safety. Uh, he's not a great safety, but he is a good safety. The the other two spots have either been hampered by injury with, uh, you know, Noah Daniels could play corner or safety, and, and so could Nick Bradford, and neither of them have been able to see the field at all. Uh, Bud Clark, everyone was super high on Bud Clark as a recruit. He hasn't really translated so far this year, and, and TJ Carter's a transfer um, that, that just hasn't materialized. The problem, though, I'll tell you, is on the defensive line is because not only can TCU uh, not get a pass rush going, they also can't really get a run fit going. So um, Kari Coleman's been injured. He was projected to be like, oh, this is going to be his breakout year at defensive end. It's not really happening. The defensive line is essentially just O'Shawn, Mathis, and friends, and O'Shawn can only do so much. So because TCU can't get a run fit, they're not – great at stopping the run, especially when they get to the second level because the linebackers can't tackle and they can't pass rush. So you're relying on a depleted secondary to cover a bunch of receivers. And anyway, it's not good. <laughs> it's, it's sort of my summary. It, there, there's failures at all levels. Yeah. I had O'Shawn Mathis as kind of one of the, the big X factors for the defense, because as you alluded to in uh, the last episode of your podcast, WVU's offensive tackles are terrible and the rest of the offensive line isn't great either but the offensive tackles are just really bad and I, I was just kind of wondering if you think that someone like you know O'Shawn Mathis could single-handedly disrupt our running game considering we are kind of you know predictable in the run game yeah yeah and that's the thing too so it, it's because Davey's not what I would call a, a mobile quarterback um and so you're just kind of saying all right what's Letty Brown going to do on this possession and so if they can kind of figure that out I mean Letty for being a really talented running back is averaging under five yards a carry. And so there has to be some sort of scheme that TC can look at and say, all right, well, we know they're going to do this with Letty. O'Shawn, go make a play. Or, hey, we're just going to key in it and we'll put five guys going towards the ball from the jump and just kind of shut it down. But, yes, I, I do think this is an opportunity for TCU's beleaguered run defense to, to boost their numbers a little bit. I, again, no offense. It's just uh, I, I think this might be the game where they could see some improvement. Yeah, unfortunately, um, it, it does seem very predictable when we run the ball. We always run between the tackles. You're not going to really see us run a stretch play or, or anything fancy. It's just most of the time out of shotgun right up the gut, which uh, I don't know if they do that because our line's so weak. And like you guys were talking about, our tackles are just having such a rough year. But um, yeah, I mean, Letty is talented without a doubt. He put up over a thousand yards last year, but he just can't get it going this year. And the biggest thing is that O-line. So, um, yeah, you guys might be able to break out of that slump. Yeah. And the one thing that, um, you know, I noticed too is you, I think you kind of hit on it with the interior defensive line and linebackers, um, the, the linebackers you guys have. It just seems like, you know, not great at playing the run. I know their run grades on PFF were pretty low. I saw that their stuff rate was kind of low. I think it was only 12%. Um and one encouraging side for WVU's offensive line for as bad as it was is we only get stuffed 14% of the time. So there you um, go. I'm hoping that we can, you know, those inside zones we run can, you know, account for yeah. something because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so the, the thing about TCU's defense is that they, they don't have, and I, I mentioned this earlier, they don't have a great tackler. Uh, D. Winters came in at the season projected as probably TCU's second or third best defensive player. He's missing 22.7% of his tackles. 
Uh, and that's for your star linebacker. Um, Wyatt Harris was going to play alongside him. I, I don't think he's going to play this weekend. I don't hold me to that, but I, I, I believe he's injured. And Jamoy Hodge isn't great as a backup either. So I'll, I'll tell you this. Third and six, third in the ball game, basically, Texas has to convert a third down to extend the game. Otherwise, they punt and TCU has a chance to get it back. This sticks out so clearly in my mind because Parker and I were sitting next to each other actually standing next to each other at the stadium. And everyone in the stadium knew TCU just has to stop a running back from getting six yards. Couldn't do it. I think Bijan got 10. So as long as we say, listen, hey, we're just going to commit to the run, I think you can find a little bit of success. Because at some point, you know, TCU just can't stop it, even if they know it's coming. And and Lady's a talented running back. So uh, I, I think this is an example of a stoppable force versus a movable object. And we'll see which one wins. Yeah, and that's one thing that I'm hopeful for is that, like you said, our run game has been just so underwhelming on the season that I think it would be helpful, especially for the offensive line, if they can get some push and Letty can get some yards. I mean, confidence goes a long way. Absolutely. And that'll open up the passing game, too. With I mean, you know, if TCU just kind of has to bring – uh, bring a ton of pressure. If they can get the ball out quick, then I think there's opportunity because our, especially over the middle, because the linebackers don't cover the pass very well. So short passes over the middle. I know Deggy doesn't throw downfield very often. That seems like it's his bread and butter. Yeah, he yeah. runs uh, slants and stops. Well, great because uh, you'll you'll find opportunities. I can almost tell you. <laughs> Well, that's good. Yeah, part of that is his arm, but I mean, I think a big part of it is again the offensive line just isn't giving him much protection and. He's a statue out there, man. He doesn't move around a lot. So it's been a problem all year for us. Yeah. West Virginia going from, I know not in a direct line, but going from like, you know, uh, Pat White to Will Greer, who was pretty mobile. And now Jared Daly. It's just a really odd progression of how things have gone. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of unnatural to see. Yeah. And there, there's kind of like a controversy going on between all the WVU fans. Um, we have a redshirt freshman, Garrett Green, who yeah. has come in to spell Deggy. Um, and he's been successful. He doesn't really pass the ball much. Um, he seems reluctant to at times. Um, Neil Brown is always kind of critical of him, not necessarily running plays the way that he drew him up. Um, he says he doesn't go through his progressions or doing that sort of thing, but he's explosive. Which is fair. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's explosive. And I think that gets fans excited because our offense is like anti-explosive. Um, so I think that excitement there gets people maybe a little bit too amped up. Now, me personally, I would like to see Green more and kind of build the offense sure. around him just because I think the the potential for someone gaining, you know, eight, nine yards on a carry is better than running Letty up the middle for three yards every play without confusing the defense at all. Sure. It's uh it's you know, it it's it's provocative. It gets the people going. You know, you just kind of say, Hey, listen, you know, maybe we could break something here instead of Second and seven every single time you take, you know, you take a snap. Yeah, I get it. And, and there's, there's, that's the thing with any fan base, man. There are TCU fans that want to see like Matthew Downing or Sam Jackson or Chandler Morris, especially take over for Max. And it's like, I, I think we got to kind of realize what the best option is here because there are known commodities. Um, and then there's the unknown where it's like, I, there may be a chance he's great, but I think the odds are better that he, we're probably starting the right guy. Yeah, and the yeah. one thing that we talked about um, in our podcast before is that, you know, we think Jared Deggie's probably better in between the 20s. He's bad in the red zone. I think he's only completing like 30% of his passes there. Um, mm-hmm. But Garrett Green, when he's in there, he's scored a touchdown almost every time he's been in the red zone mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, that variability. 
Sure. Yeah. 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 I think Nagy, uh, um, I mean, obviously he hasn't been great this year, but sometimes I think he gets more criticism than he deserves, but I, I, I think everyone's ready to see green start except coach Brown, but, uh, <laughs> just because, you know, our record's not great. We want to see what he's got going into next season. And like Brandon was talking about, he does have the ability to break one off. He's exciting. And, uh, you know, when you got a rough offensive line, it doesn't hurt to have a guy who can take off occasionally back there. And he opens up the offense for Letty Brown as well. Exactly. Well, and two, I would think because, and I don't, y'all, y'all know, y'all know more about this than I do, but I know there are rumblings for West Virginia to perhaps make a change at head coach. You'd think Neil would be more open to trying anything, seeing if it works. Yeah, uh, I th- I think he's safer at least this year. I mean, if he has another real down year next year, I would say that would be more realistic. I mean, I'm sure your fans are the same way, but WVU fans can be a little unrealistic sometimes. It is his third year. This was supposed to be like the year where it was all coming together. So it's, it is super disappointing for everyone. But um, yeah, I mean, I... I I like Coach Brown. I hope he sticks around. I don't want to have to start all over again. You guys are sure. lucky. You've had the same coach for oh. two decades now. But it's yeah, it's lucky until it isn't. But yeah, no, I don't know. I, I like Coach. I like Coach Brown too. I um, I saw him at Big Twelve Media Days in 2019. I was like, yeah, I like this guy a lot. And he was the darling of the college football internet for forever while he was at Troy. I mean, everyone loved him. and Everyone's rooting for him to succeed. It, it's like the opposite of uh, Texas Tech and Matt Wells. You know, I'm, I'm from Texas. I have a relatives and friends that went to tech and immediately like nope get them out don't like them and i, I feel like oh he's close but yeah, we'll give him a shot we'll see what happens yeah, yeah I, I like coach brown too um i think you know the big thing with him that he's brought the program is just the ability to rebuild it his recruiting classes sure. for the past couple of years have been really good um as long as everyone signs for this next upcoming class it'll be the best class in i think maybe wvu history with the number of four stars wow. we have coming in um but my biggest issue with him is that I think he would be better more like as a, like a, a CEO of the team, as opposed to sure. trying to have too many hats. Cause he's also calling plays. He still has the offensive coordinator. And even throughout his career, he's never really been a tremendous offensive coach. I think his best season was at Texas tech. I think they were in the top 20 or something, which is kind of low for Texas tech standards, but sure. Yeah. It, it I know what you mean. I, and speaking from a TCU standpoint, you, I think Gary, should transition into a CEO role um, because he still has the, I mean, the man's got a statue on TCU's campus. I think it was erected when I was a student um, and he still knows how to raise funds, but I, I think you know, the game, I'm not going to say it's passed him by, but I think there are certain things where he may just be better off served as a figurehead. I, I think our, our programs are in kind of similar positions there. Yeah, well, Coach Brown, I mean, you were just kind of talking about it. He's so personable, and that's that's what made everyone yeah. fall in love with him when he first got here. Because that's like the exact opposite of Dana when he was here. He was not <laughs> personable at all. Um, but, yeah, I hope he turns it around. But um, let's start talking about Gary Patterson, because I'm actually kind of shocked. I didn't realize TCU fans kind of felt that way. He's been there for 20 years. He's won multiple coach of the year awards he's turned down several other coaching opportunities in those 20 years um why why do you think he stayed what what's like so appealing i mean i don't mean this as an insult what's so welcoming it's a good thing that they felt 
they've made a coach feel that welcome and want to stay there that long. Yeah, so this is going to sound cynical. So I'm going to preface it with two sentences. One is that I think Gary should be able to pick the way he leads TCU. And two, Gary has been the greatest thing to happen to TCU athletics in its history, including Davey O'Brien's Heisman in 1937 or whatever it was. Um, the man's a legend. What he's done so well is that he's been able to sort of create an athletic department that is – based around him and, and certainly one that he is able to kind of do whatever he wants. So he has a freedom at TCU that he wouldn't have at Tennessee or at, you know, any of the other schools he's been rumored to take. Um, I'm not saying he's done anything shady at all, but think about it this way. You know, you can't FOIA Gary Patterson's emails, right? And I'm not saying there's anything shady in him, but the, the man exists in his own bubble. Um, I, I was a student reporter for three and a half years at TCU. I've, covered them for the Dallas morning news for a couple of years as well. And, and every other person you talk to, I remember uh, Ben baby covers the Cincinnati Bengals now. And he sat next to me. It was his first time at a TC press conference. And he goes, are they always like this? I was like, yeah, man, they're always like this. Gary just kind of extemporaneous speaks for 20 minutes. And then we go write a story about it. Uh, so he, he has his own little fiefdom and he's been able to create that program and create relationships with high school coaches to send him the underrated two and three stars that he knows are dogs that he can turn into players on the field. The man's a genius. Uh, it's it's he's it's it's a symbiotic relationship. It's just at the point now where the results on the field don't necessarily cover up some of the annoying things that he does off the field, aka the way he behaved after TCU lost to SMU. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know all that. I mean, I guess I could I could see that from a fan standpoint that maybe his ego is getting a little too big. And that makes sense why he's staying there too. I mean, yeah, he's been yeah. rumored for Minnesota, Tennessee jobs over these past 20 years. It makes sense. You wouldn't get away with stuff like that there. Yeah. And again, he's incredibly good. He probably deserves a little bit of his own fiefdom. Uh, it's just when you stop winning 10 games a year, the questions start rolling in. Yeah. I, I you know, I kind of hope WVU gets there eventually because, you know, I started, we both started watching WVU during the Neyland years. And, you know, mm-hmm. he took WVU to two or one technically national championship game, kind of almost another in the early 90s. Um, you know, he, he was always a great coach. I think he still ho- holds the most wins in WVU history. Um, he's put people into the pros. Um, then, you know, we hired Rich Rod, which it seemed like that was the next guy. And then ever since Rich Rod pulled the fiasco where he left for Michigan after the pit game where we lost 13 to nine, which you should never say around a WV WV fan. I, I wasn't going to bring it up. Bad. Trust me. I, <laughs> I, 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 I knew enough about that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> after that, it's just been, it just seems like we're, we're grasping at straws and trying to figure out who the next guy is. I mean, people thought it was Dana. I don't think anyone thought it was Bill Stewart, um, but people thought it was yeah. Dana. And then Dana just didn't seem like he was built to be a head coach, even though he's at Houston, that's not going well. Um, you know, Neil seems like he's the guy, but it, it seems like that he needs to make some adjustments after this season or potentially even during the season to, to make it so that he's a better coach. Um, yeah. you know, it, it very much is sort of a, a devil. You don't a W you know versus a devil. You don't like Dana was kind of prickly, but he might pop up and win 10 games or, you know, or whatever. And with Gary, it's like, Hey, we know what we've got. Do we want to try Justin Fuente? I mean, because he was the, kind of the, the, the anointed one. And then he, his tenure at Virginia tech has gone downhill rather quickly. And so uh, it's like, man, I don't know. Can we get anybody better at, at TCU? Are they going to, you know, pull out something and hire Jer- uh, uh, Chadwell from coastal or Jeff trailer at, at UTSA or anything like that? I don't think they are. So 
and let Gary finish up his contract and see what's there. I don't know. It, it's 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 a tough situation for any athletic program. Yeah. Definitely. When is this contract up? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, Twenty twenty four, I think. Interesting. So we still got some time. Yeah. How old is he now? Pushing sixty. I think he's sixty one. Hmm. Um, he's and he's been here since he was started defensive coordinator in nineteen eighty eight. Or 1998, and then he took the head coaching job in 2000. So, yeah, he's 61. Cool. Nice. So, um, I think Brandon had some questions about realignment, but before we get to that, just briefly, mm-hmm. we just wanted to ask you, basketball season's right around the corner. How do you think TCU's oh, basketball team will be this year? <laughs> well, they kept Jamie Dixon, so they're not going to be that good. <laughs> I think he's overstayed his welcome, but they do have a couple of, of decent players. Miles is outstanding. Um, and they have a lot of transfers they're bringing in. I'll be honest with you, and I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I grew up a huge North Carolina Tar Heel basketball fan, and I've stuck with that. I went to every home game my freshman year at TCU, and they lost every single Big 12 game. So at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to care about TCU basketball. <laughs> I'm going to watch, and I hope they do well, but I, I they'll be okay. As long as Jamie Dixon's still there, it's it's not tenable. I And – yeah, I'm not going to monopolize the podcast. That goes into something else about how TCU's athletic director, if Chris Del Conte was here, things would be different. But Donati's here, and we have to make the best of what we have. So, so you kind of messed up my questions. I was going to shine up both your coaches this podcast. And <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, you're talking to the wrong one. guy. They're, they're, <laughs> Pat, Patterson's a legend, and Dixon, we should have hired Dixon. Absolutely was the right move. Just kind of probably, he should have taken the UCLA job. Yeah, I mean, I was I was kind of doing some research. It seemed like you turned your basketball program around from at least where it was initially. And in the time he's been there, I mean, you guys beat a number one ranked team for the first time ever. You won an NIT championship, which I know, you know, that's not like the best thing in the world. But I mean, compared to where your basketball program was, that's not bad. He led him to the tournament in the first time in 20 years. I thought you guys would love Jamie Dixon down he's, there. He's better than Trent Johnson. I'll give him that. Uh, although that's not necessarily a hard task. Um, and, and, and the thing about it is the reason that I, my personal problem with Jamie is that he has a lot of roster turnover, um, a lot of transfers in, but a ton of transfers out. And TCU wilts uh, in, in close late game situations. Um, I think it was 2020. They should have beaten Kansas and didn't. Um, they were up in the second half and it was just turnover, 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 turnover. And that happens like five games a year. And it's super frustrating. Um, I don't think he's built a consistent program, but I do. I do think he's a good dude. Like I, I don't hate the guy. I'm glad he came to TCU. I just wish he would have taken the UCLA job. That's fair. I feel like you know the one thing about TCU that's always kind of strange is that it seems like their out of conference schedule was always kind of super soft. So that by the time they come into the Big Twelve, they're always like ten and one, eleven and zero, yeah. and then it just kind yeah. of goes down. In 2014. They were undefeated out of conference. I think they were actually ranked 25th going into the Big 12. I'm not sure they won more than four games in conference. Uh, it was like, oh, wow, this is just a complete house of cards. <laughs> I, I don't. And they were also playing their games in a high school arena at that point uh, because the basketball arena was undergoing renovation. So just a total complete mirage. Uh, yes, you're exactly right. They do that on purpose. That's smart, though. I mean, it yeah. gets people to put high, hopes up high, and then hopefully it doesn't drop them too too far by the time the season's over. Look at Baylor's non-conference football schedule. I mean, until BYU this year, they there was like Duke, and then like 
Lamar in Liberty, and I think they lost to Incarnate Word one year, or almost did, and, and they get ranked because they're five and zero, and so they play Oklahoma or whoever. Yeah, it's a sound strategy. I can't argue with it. <laughs> That's why I'm kind of feel good about having Huggy. I mean, he's a WVU guy. Um, he's not going anywhere till he either keels over and dies or decides he's done. <laughs> um, I don't know which one's going to come first. I don't think either has has too much more time to go. But no. um, you know, what, coach that style of basketball, coach that style of basketball, that blood pressure has got to be sky high. I can't. Imagine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, what what three or four years ago, WVU? It seemed like our program was in shambles, and then he just somehow pulls something out of his hat and completely turns the program around, and we're up to 20, 25 wins a year again. I, I don't know how he does it, how he adapts as quickly as he does, and you know, just kicks out half the team and then brings in a whole new squad of people who are good. Mm-hmm. Who is uh who is that guy? This is the most generic descriptor ever, but I think you know who I mean. Who's the guy that blocked all the shots like three years ago? Kanate. Oh, uh, yeah. Kanate. God, that guy was insane. Anyway, it was him and Javon Carter. And that's that team was so fun. I love that team. They were fun. Press Virginia, baby. I mean, that was yeah, that man. was really fun to watch. Kanate was so disappointing too because like he was supposed to come back the next year. I think it was his junior year. Um, and he tested the draft waters. They told him to shoot more threes. He started out in the, the you know non-conference schedule trying to shoot threes, which he wasn't great at because, you know, he's a center. Right. Um, and then he got some weird leg injury, sat out the rest of the season, then went pro after sitting out the whole season. It was a really weird situation. And then last year we had Oscar Shibway transfer yes. out halfway through the season um, when our team was doing great. Um, and that was a weird situation too. And oddly enough, we got better once he left. <laughs> so I don't know. I trust Huggy Bear. I feel like if you're not buying into his system, you're probably better off leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if he has his guys, he can coach a really daggum good team. And he's not afraid to cut people until he finds his guys, which honestly I respect. Oh yeah. Same here. I mean, it's great. It, he's just a great coach to have. Um, so I think the last thing we wanted to talk about before we let you go, and uh, we don't want to keep you all night, but the Big 12 realignment, you know, we're adding mm-hmm. four new teams, three teams from the AAC and BYU. Um, do, you, do you like what they did? Do you feel like the conference is stable? Yeah, I mean, I think they did what they had to do. Um, I'm, I'm glad Cincinnati's here. I'm glad BYU's here, UCF, all that. I, 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 Look, no combination of teams uh, would replace Oklahoma and Texas straight up, but Cincinnati's extremely good. They probably are one of the top five teams in the country this year, um, and bringing them in is only going to help. We'll see what happens when Luke Fickle leaves, but uh, I, I think it's good that that they brought those teams in. I'm, I'm you know, I've always been a big Boise guy. Um, I would have liked Boise to come along. I guess they didn't, and that's fine, but – uh, Expanding out to, to 12 again, to where at least the conference name matches up is pretty cool. And uh, I, I I think it's going to net be a good for the conference. At, at least it's the best they could have done, I think, considering the situation and how quickly all of it seemed to emerge. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, you know, a lot of WVU fans were hoping WVU would find a home in the ACC or other places, which, I mean, those are a lot of our old rivals, so... 
um, you, you know, that would be ideal. But I'll tell you what, for I agree with you. It's it's you're never going to be able to replace Oklahoma and Texas. But the teams that they added, it could be a fun conference. It kind of reminds me of the Big East. Those last mm-hmm. like, I don't know, six, yeah. 10 years yeah. before it folded. And I mean, that was fun football, fun basketball to watch. So I could get behind it. That's what I was going to say, too. The the Big 12 comparison, like it can grow programs, too, because these new teams coming in, they're going to double, maybe even triple the revenue that they had before. And look at what happened with a school like Louisville. They went from I don't even know what conference they were in before the Big East. They went to the Big East for what, five years and they came out, you know, a powerhouse. Um, you know, they're, oh, it's I, dropped a little yeah. bit since the ATC, but still. Yeah, well. TCU, I mean, so I'll be honest. So I didn't think about applying to TCU until 2012, and I graduated high school in 2013. They won the Rose Bowl in 2011, and I think applicants, uh, like the number of applicants jumped, I don't know, it was over 100%. And so when I got there, it was like 50% Texas kids and 25% California kids, 20% Colorado kids. It's everyone that watched the Rose Bowl. So you get these teams in the into places where they're, at a, you know, they have a higher chance of making big bowl games, big sporting events, all that. It's only going to help these schools. Now, UCF, or, or, you know, is like the biggest school in the country, I think, technically. But anyway, but they, they're they going to uh, to really benefit. And it's it's only going to help these programs. And they'll only get better. And not that Cincinnati needs any help. Again, they're extremely good. So they're fine. Yeah. yeah. I, I love having a close neighbor for WVU, too. Yes, exactly. Y'all are kind of stuck in no man's land. We share yeah. mountains with uh, Texas Tech. <laughs> well, everywhere is no man's land when you're in Lubbock. Uh, <laughs> I, I somehow avoided going there. I've been to Amarillo, and I can't imagine it's much better. But, yeah, not a not a convenient place to, to go catch a game. All right, Grant. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. It's been a lot of fun, and you're a fun guy to talk sports with. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. Um, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's, you know, I, I always have a spot, soft spot for West Virginia. One of my favorite games was the 2014 game. TC came out of the winning end of that one, but it's still one of the best college football games I've ever seen. So hope for hoping for a repeat on Saturday. All right, guys, once again, we can't thank Grant enough for coming on and joining us. Make sure you check out the Purple Theory podcast and give him some support. If you guys enjoyed this, you want us to have more guests on, just uh, send us something on Twitter or Facebook and uh, we'll respond. We definitely enjoyed it. I think we'll try to do stuff like this more often. Um, And thank you for listening for the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. I'm Brandon Brandon. Thanks, everyone, for listening.